All right, grab your Bibles if you would. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40. If you don't have your Bibles but you have your cell phone, you can download our app. And our, uh, there is a Bible inside of that app. And there's also my sermon notes. You can follow along with me uh, while I'm teaching this morning. Before we get too far into it, let me ask you a question. Um, what do you think people say about you when you're not around? Maybe we should ask it this way. What do you hope people say about you when you're not around? You know, it's a very interesting thing when I hear people describing God. Um, if, if I really want to get uh, upset, let me hear someone say, the man upstairs. That drives me nuts when I hear that. Has anyone ever heard that? It drives me nuts. He's, we're talking about the creator of the universe here. Um, but uh, there's a lot of different ways to describe him. And, uh, and it's difficult because he is so great. It is very difficult to describe God. In fact, I'd like to read this one particular ver uh, chapter here in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 24. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 25. It reads like this To whom will you compare me? This is God speaking to Isaiah. Who is my equal? asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Do you see that? He calls out the stars by name. When you go to describe God, it is so incredibly difficult when you're dealing with the creator and the master of the universe. He calls them by name and he makes sure not one is missing. You remember when you were in grade school or high school? Some of you are still in high school. Um, I used to be a youth pastor like, like 15 years ago. And um, a, a kid that was in my youth group was in the first service this morning and I said you remember when you were in high school raise your hand if you're still in high school and he raised his hand and he was in high school when I was a youth pastor and I was like not even gonna ask um uh, so um so uh, you remember when you were in high school and in uh, elementary school the teacher would call out roll Susie uh, Lacey uh Jamil uh Michael and you say here here you remember that well, God does a roll call and to make sure that all the stars are in their place. Is that unbelievable? I mean, if you live in the greater Houston area, you may not be impressed with that because you don't see any stars. But how many of you, like, you, you, like and you've been to Colorado or maybe you live in the country and you can see stars? Where, tell the person next to you. The best place you've ever been to see stars. Go ahead and lean over. Tell them. Best place ever. Best place ever. Who here said Colorado? Well, let me see. I knew you guys would raise your hand on that one. I've seen stars in, uh, while skiing on the ski slopes. I've, I've been in a, one of those carts where they take you to the top of the mountain so you can ski. And I'm always thinking two thoughts. Number one, dear God, don't let me die. 
Second thing is I'm like, man, God made some awesome stuff. But when you're dealing with the creator of the universe to talk about him and to, to, to have an adjective, it's very difficult. But God says, I, I've got a name that I want you to call me. Now, he's, there are several names to call God. But one name is very peculiar, and it's jealous. I want you to call me jealous. And we should take comfort in that. That's what I'm going to talk about today, taking comfort in his jealousy. If you're taking notes, write that down. God is jealous. He is a jealous God. Now, if someone is referring to you behind your back and they say to you, they say to somebody, man, she is really jealous. That is not so much a compliment in our society. Man, that dude's really jealous. That is not a compliment. But from God's perspective, he calls himself jealous. He says, I'm jealous, and I want you to know that I'm jealous. In fact, you can just call me a jealous. Just call me jealous. In fact, my name is jealous. Watch this. Let me read it to you. It's in James chapter 4, verse 5. It says, Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy, jealously. Now, what does yearn mean? It means to have an intense desire or, or longing. It's, God has an intense desire or longing for you. Uh, let me read this. This is, this is even uh, more boggling. Psalms 139, verse 17. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. God's thoughts towards you outnumber the grains of sand on the earth. Now think about every beach you've been to. Think about the Sahara Desert. He has more thoughts towards you than the number of grains of sand on the earth. Now, I got two people that like that, so I'm I'm coming after the rest of you. All right, now watch this. I've got one cubic foot inside of sand inside this box. I know everybody can't see it, but good for you. I've got a scooper here. And now watch this. I'm going to pour out the... Now this sand is from Galveston, so it just clumps. All right? It it doesn't like pour. It just like, it like clumps. In fact... (laughs) Now... If we were in Florida, it'd just kind of like pour out, right? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever gone to Florida, put your toes in the sand, you're like, oh, Jesus. But this is good Texas sand, so it's like a fine line between mud and sand. Um, But nevertheless, in one cubic foot, there is 1.8 billion grains of sand. Inside of one cubic foot. 1.8 billion. Now, if I were to think about my wife, Allie, 
1.8 billion seconds straight, nonstop. It would come out to 60 years. That's no sleeping, no eating, because if I was eating, I would be thinking about it. All right? So it's just me sitting in a chair going, alley, 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 alley. And I'd have to say it out loud because I was blessed with ADD, a deeper dimension. So I would have to say it. <laughs> Some of you have ADD, so you didn't get that. You'll get it later. <laughs> right during lunch, you'll be watching TV and you're like, oh, I... But uh, I would have to say it out loud, alley, 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 for 60 years to come up with 1.8 billion thoughts, 1.8 billion seconds, just to equal one cubic foot of sand. Now, God has thought about you more than all the sand on the earth. Now, some of you are like, that would be very hard considering I'm not 60 years old. Now, that would be true. But God started thinking about you before you were born. So he got a huge head start. In fact, the Bible says that he started thinking about you before he made the world. He started thinking about you. Now watch this. He sees you in his mind. He's waiting for your birth day. You're born. Now, there's another scripture that says that you are the apple of his eye. What does that mean? Well, we all have peripheral vision. Even though you can, have, you can see a lot of things, you can only focus on one thing. Well, the one thing that you're looking at, the one thing that you're focusing in on, is the apple of your eye. And so when the Lord is looking at you, he's saying, you are the center of my focus, and I am never not thinking about you. Now, for the skeptic in the room, which I know there's not any here, but if there were, somebody would say, Slight exaggeration is just making the point that he thinks about us a lot. No. An exaggeration, let me say it this way. Let's say Uncle Phil catches a fish this big, and he comes home, he's like, I caught a fish that big. Or you hear a guy that wants to make a point, and he exaggerates on the statistic. Like, 99% of all men hate chick flicks. He just made that up to make his point. The Bible is not like that because an exaggeration is just a nice way of saying you lied, right? If God lied, if he exaggerated, then he would be submitting to the father of lies, which is Satan. So there is, he's not lying when he's saying, I have thought about you. More than the number of grains of sand in the ocean, in the world, in the desert. I have thought about you that much. Guess what? He has thought about you that much. 
So this God, this creator of the universe, is always passionate about being with you. In fact, he is more passionate about being with you than we are being with him. You and I think about lots of things. He thinks about you. Now, how does he do all that with all the things that he does? That's above my pay grade. He's God. I'm not. The only thing I know is that he's crazy about you. Now, watch this. There's lots of people in this world that would die for somebody else. I'd die for my kids. You'd die for your kids. That's that's nothing new. But to love somebody so much to take your son. There's nobody in this world I love that much. I'm going to let my son die so that you don't have to die. Try again. That's not going to happen. And this is what God did. He loves you that much that he let his son Die on a cross to pay for your sins. He loves you that much. So that's number one is the jealousy of God. But I want to say point number two is our devotion to God. How much are we devoted in response to God? This is a very uh, difficult topic because uh, a response is not necessary, it's mandatory. Let me read it to you. It sounds like this. In John, uh, I'm sorry, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, it says, you must be holy in everything you do. Now, what does holy mean? Holy means be separate. Uh, I do not, this is God speaking, You know what I like and you know what I don't like because I've written it on the tablet of your heart. Nobody needs to preach it to you. You just know when you say that, when you do that, when you look like that, when you're, you know what I don't like. So don't do those things. Now watch this. In 1 John chapter 5 verse 3, it says that his commandments are not burdensome. Now that is perplexing because it is burdensome. That was out loud. When God says, I don't want you to like the things that I do not like, that can be very often a huge burden. Does anyone agree with that? I wish my mom was here. She would raise her hand because she agrees with everything I say. (laughs) In John 14, 15, it says, if you love me, Keep my commands. Now, if you hear a verse like that, it can almost be very uh, hard to settle with because let's take me, for example. I love God, but I'm supposed to keep his commands. And if I don't, I feel like I don't love him because the Bible says that if I love him, I'll keep his commands. And so I, I feel like I need to prove that I love him by keeping his commands. And if I don't keep his commands, I'm telling him that I don't love him. Are you with me? But that's not what the scripture means. God has x-ray vision, folks. He can look into your heart. He can tell if you love him or not. 
He doesn't need you to prove it. He can tell if you love him or not. So that's not what the scripture is saying. What the scripture is saying in its original translation is it reads like this. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Not if you love me, keep my commands. It says you will keep my commands. Now, I know a lot of this second point seems a little bit convoluted. Um, so let me, let, me, uh, let me illustrate it. When my wife and I were engaged, I was like crazy for her. If she would call me at 3 a.m. in the morning and say, I want ice cream, I would say, what flavor? What flavor do you want? In fact, we lived in Rockford, Illinois at the time. I will drive to Texas, to Brenham, Texas, and get it right out of the Bluebell machine. And then I will bring it to you. What would you like? Would you like vanilla? Would you like swirl? Would you like Rocky Road? What do you, at three o'clock in the morning, you say when, you say how, I will be there. And then we got married. And the other day, earlier last week, she said, honey, and there's certain honeys that mean I'm about to ask for something. <laughs> honey, in my tone of voice, is going to tell her whether or not I want to do it. So I ratchet my voice up a little bit and go, yeah, that means I'm in. But in my head, I'm like, honey, see her, honey, yeah, I'm meeting her there, I'm connecting with you. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get real today. <laughs> honey, yeah, would you do me a favor? Sure. <laughs> would you make me a cup of coffee? Sure. Yeah. Now, why is that difficult for me? Well, I got a new coffee maker for my birthday a couple weeks ago. And from the point you walk up to it to the point that you clean it when you're done, it takes eight minutes to make a cup of coffee. So, so this is what I hear. Honey? Yeah? Will you give me eight minutes of your time that you're never going to get back? Yeah? Contrast that to, we've been married for 15 years, contrast that to 15 and a half years ago. Honey, I want some ice cream. Sure, where do you want it? How do you want it? Do you want it in a milkshake? How do you want it? I'll bring it to you right now. Now, 15 years later, I can't give you eight minutes to make a cup of coffee. What happened? This is what happened. Let me back up. What had happened was <laughs> life. I grew up. I got a job. I was poor then. No, I was poe. I was poe then. I, poor would have meant I had like five bucks. But uh, we, I got busy. Um, uh, I, in my own eyes, I got pretty important. Um, I'm busy. So, so Allie was my end-all, be-all. 
And now she's like mixed in the mix with work and life and mowing and, and ESPN and, and, and <laughs> she's mixed in with all that. Now, deep down inside, she's still numero uno, but we're not talking about deep down inside. We're talking about life, right? So it's just mixed in there. And, and that right there is when the Lord says, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. If you love me, it mean it will be a natural response. You are already motivated to do what I want you to do. You, you're already motivated. So it, in hindsight, I was already motivated to do what Allie wanted me to do because my love for her was front and center. Now that it's not front and center, it is very much a burden. Do you see what I mean? So when I say, a cup of coffee for your wife should not be burdensome. Watch this. Following the Lord's commandments should not be burdensome. Do you see the parallel? The only thing that changes in the formula is, is the passion there or not there? When it's there, it's not burdensome at all. When it's not there, it's an incredible burden. And the Lord says, my commandments are not burdensome. And if you love me, if you're passionate about it, you'll do it. You'll just naturally do it. But when it is a burden and you don't want to do it, what that means is that God and your relationship with him has been mixed in with everything else that is important with life and you'll get to him when you get around to it. And now everything becomes a burden. So what we have here is point number one is that God is jealous for you. Point number two is what is our devotion towards him? Where is he at for us? We know where we are with him, but where is he with us? And then point number three is what is the remedy? How do we bridge that gap? Because there is a knowing-doing gap that is taking place here. You know that it's not easy. It's, you know that he is not number one all the time. How, does, how do we get that back? What's the remedy? How do we get that back to where it's supposed to be? Going back to Allie and I, as a parallel, when Allie and I go on vacation, it takes me about 48 hours to get on vacation after I've already been on vacation. Do you know what I mean? Like you're there, but you're not there. Like if we go to Cancun, hypothetically, I'm still in Houston for like 48 hours. My brain is still in Houston. And so I grab my computer and Allie's like, don't touch it. And I go to check my cell phone, don't touch it. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. <sighs> the world will keep on spinning without me. <sighs> and then all of a sudden, it's like this detox, right? And I begin to separate. And then I start connecting with her. 
And then what happens? My relationship with her, she begins to find her rightful spot in my life as number one above work, above the yard, above ESPN. And now, while we're on vacation, I'm like, hey, you want me to get you a cup of coffee? Hey, you want me? Hey, hey, no, don't worry about it. I got it. I got it. Do you see the difference? So now she, she gets back there. And, and what is that key ingredient that made it come back? It was time. It was focused time with her. And that is what bridges the gap. Well, then you and I say, I am equally, or I'm trying, or I'm making ground to be in passionate about you. I know you're more passionate to be with me than I am with you, but I want, the Bible says this, oh, that I may take hold of, oh, that, that, that I may take hold of that which has taken hold of me. You have a hold of my heart. I want to have a hold of yours. And that circles back around to time. And time can be broken up into three categories. You worship him, you talk to him, and you read about him. That's the knowing-doing gap I was talking about. You know what to do. The question is, can we do it? Yes, we can, because it is not that hard. What we back up, if we do, is instead of having a prayer time with him, we just pray all the time. Do you see where I'm at? Instead of doing sometimes all the time. Instead of walking out going, I prayed an hour straight. How about with this? How about we just pray 12 hours straight all the time? We just don't ever stop. It's just it's always happening. And then reading the word is not that hard because you can just open up the church app and click on it, and it's got a daily reading plan. And you just read that plan for that day. And then the worship category, when you're here in church, it's easy to worship. All you have to do is, is this is hard, show up on time. But <laughs> Okay, let's get off that. Uh, it, you just worship. But when you're alone, you just put the words thank you before every sentence. Yes. And you automatically start worshiping. Thank you for the car. Thank you that I'm not in the hospital. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to bring your thank yous to another level. Thank you for being wonderful. Thank you for being awesome. Thank you for being amazing. Thank you for keeping your eye on me. Thank you for paying attention to me when I wasn't paying attention to you. Thank you, Lord, for watching over my children. Thank you, God, that a raise is coming, a better job is coming. Thank you, God, that you want me to prosper even as my soul prospers. See, there is a difference of being jealous of someone and being jealous for someone. See, God is jealous for you. He's not jealous of you. See, when somebody says, oh, I love your new car, but really they don't love your new car. They're jealous of your new car. See, everybody, there's, they want you to do good. They just don't want you to do better than them. That's not how God is. God is not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. 
He wants you to have good things. He says, oh, that you may prosper as your soul prospers. You know he wants your soul to prosper, but he wants everything else to prosper as much as he wants your soul to prosper. He wants your finances, your health. He wants all those things. But when he backs up, he says, I am jealous for you. I mean, I want your attention again. And if, you're, if you've ever been hurt in your life, if somebody has ever disappointed you, where you have given them your heart, and you say, and I am going to trust you. Maybe it was 20 years ago. Maybe it was 10 years ago. Maybe it was one year ago. Maybe it was when you were a little girl. Somebody that you love, you loved them, you trusted them, and then all of a sudden, they betrayed that trust. And from that moment forward, not only are you hurt, but from that moment forward, you keep everybody at a little bit of a distance. Yes, you'll get remarried again. Yes, you'll come back down the aisle again. Yes, you'll say I do again. But there's a little bit of a buffer because I'm not going to ever get hurt like that again. And we've all experienced different levels of betrayal. But I want you to know that God has never betrayed you and he will never betray you. And in those moments where you were all alone, you were not all alone. You have never been all alone. You have never, ever been all alone. You have always been the center of his focus. You have always been on his mind. You have always been and you can trust him. He's never going to leave you. And I want you to know that his jealousy should comfort you. It should comfort you. And if you ever think that you're not a good daughter to God, or you're not a good son to God, or you haven't been as consistent as you should be to God, and you think that he might be disappointed with you for those reasons, I just want you to know that those thoughts are not from God. Those thoughts are from the, from the enemy. Any thought that condemns you, that makes you feel bad, is not from God. He does not think that way. That is not his way. When he is thinking about you over and over and over again, billions of times over again, he's looking at you with sincere love. You say, but I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, I've done that. His son paid that sin for you. When he sees you do that, the Bible says that he knows your frame. It's like the frame of a picture. He knows what you're capable of doing and what you're not capable of doing. And when you fail, he knows you are not capable of not failing. You're not capable of it. So he doesn't judge you harshly for, doing, for not doing something that you are not capable of doing. Do you hear me? The Bible says this, that he knows that we are dust. He knows what he's looking at. He made us from dust. He knows that we cannot be perfect. And what I'm telling you right now, I did not say in the first or second service, so I don't know who I'm talking to, but I want you to know that when the Lord looks at you and he has this jealous love towards you and he has so much admiration and affection towards you, 
when you haven't given it back and when I haven't given it back and we instead failed, he backs up and he says, I know that you cannot, you are not capable. You are not capable of loving me the way I love you. You are not capable of being perfect. There is a huge difference between weakness and wickedness. We are weak. We can't do the things that we wish we could do. Just like Paul says, the things I wish I could do, I'm not doing. And the things I don't want to do, I start doing. He knows that we are nothing but dust with his breath inside of us. And when we make mistakes, he doesn't back up and go, you wicked son. There are wicked people in this world. But in my heart of hearts, I know I'm standing in a room full of people that have weaknesses, but it's not wickedness. And I don't know why I'm spending time on this. I don't know if it's for someone in this room or someone who's watching online, but I just want you to know that this sermon is to say, be comforted in the fact that the creator of the universe that brings out stars at night like an army watches you with so much affection and there's nothing you can do about it because he's crazy for you and it's not ever going to stop. And he's with you. He's with you. Would you stand your feet for me, please? I'd like our prayer partners to come down all throughout the room. And if everyone else could just bow your head and close your eyes. And if you are watching online, just bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to ask you a very important question. If your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, nobody looking around, please. If your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, are you 100% sure you know where you'd spend eternity? If the answer is no, would you just raise your hand right where you're at, please, right where you are? Hands are going up all over the room. Hands are going up all over the room. This has nothing to do with church attendance, whether you come here every Sunday or this is your first Sunday. Can everybody just raise both hands right where you are as a sign of surrender? And let's say this simple prayer, Dear Jesus, I'm so sorry for my sins. Would you please forgive me? I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. In Psalms 56, 9, it says every single time we pray, the tide of the battle changes. A lot of us are in the middle of a battle right now. I want to encourage you. Why don't you come out of your seat, take the hand of somebody down here. Let them pray with you. Let's cause the tide of that battle to change. There's no official dismissal. You can leave whenever you get ready. But let me pray for you. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine down upon you. May his countenance be lifted up on you and deliver you. May the grace and peace of God be with you all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, amen.